Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. They did it an hour, so should the Oscars be uh, worried? <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> they're not going to do it. I mean, we know that they're not going to do it in an hour. I, I don't think uh, the Oscars should be worried. They should maybe be worried for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, the Oscars should be worried because they are really losing audience, uh-huh. you know, even before all of this happened. And, you know, it's always been interesting to me that the Oscars made by people who are in the business of creating content are the least competent award, whereas the Tonys are the, are the best. At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello once again, this is Lou Katz, and I want to take a moment out to welcome you to our podcast that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment And here's how we do it. We first welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, Jen Chaney. Hi, everyone. And we have a very special guest critic this week. Mm. Not one, but two. Two Two-time Oscar winner and film professor from American University. Let's bring on Russell Williams. Hello, everybody. Let's talk about the Oscars. But first... (laughs) But first, that guy who loves hanging out in the middle. You know him. You've loved him for decades. It's Arch Campbell joining us. Well, thank you, Lou. And here we are. And uh, we are 10 days or less away from the Oscars. And so it's uh, quite special for us to welcome Russell Williams, the Oscar winner for Sound, for Glory, and for Dances with Wolves and a voting member of the Motion Picture Academy. And Jen and I have a lot of questions for you. So uh, let's start, Jen, with you. What's on your mind about uh, the Academy Awards that uh, Russell can help us with? Well, actually, I'm curious to know, um, Russell, how you feel about the sound category this year and not to lead your answer, (laughs) but how you felt about uh, the movie Sound of Metal if you had a chance to see that, because I thought the sound design and that was really extraordinary. Uh, Jen, uh, thank you for that question because that's at least one category I should be able to speak on. And I really liked all the uh, nominees uh, this year, but I think that the Sound of Metal really did an excellent job of linking us to the external world, which we basically sense you know, when we walk around through a room or we're out at a concert or we're talking with family. And then as our lead character starts to lose his hearing, they do a real excellent job of now trying to give us an impression of what it would sound like if we were going through the same uh, traumatic uh, situation that he's going through, not just physically, but also the emotional transitions that he has to make and 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 to, to come to the realization that okay this this is apparently not reversible uh but i don't want to ruin the film for everybody because there's so many more layers in there the thing that made this year the most difficult for me in any category but especially sound is no theaters so mm. unlike Arch campbell and maybe you jen who have um Dolby Atmos at home in your home theater. I don't have that. So to really to really appreciate these films, to me, you need to be in the exhibition space that they were designed to be uh, seen in. And 
because, yeah, I mean, I heard all the dialogue and, and the subtleties and things kind of come through on my speakers at home, but it's not like having a, a big theater. So that that hurt me quite a bit in terms of voting. It's not saying that I would have changed my vote, but I'm not sure whether I heard all the details that the filmmakers wanted me to, to absorb. Yeah, well, that uh, really uh, builds on what I'm wondering about, which is what is the effect of streaming on the movie business uh, in general and on the Oscars uh, this year? I mean, a lot of people are not talking about the films that are uh, nominated. Right. And and, and it's it's, you know, I, I kind of. I am at a disadvantage in one respect is in, in the sense that the Academy and the, and the actual film uh, producers or networks made, made, a, made it a point to give us either DVDs or secure links that we could mm-hmm. see the films. And then some of them were later released, you know, on platforms that the general public could access. And, you know, it seems like there would have been more buzz about the, the films because people were stuck at home and they pretty much had a, a remote control in their hand 24 hours a day. But I think that um, the pandemic obviously forced the Academy to, to ease back on a lot of the rules. And I, I've said this many times, the Academy loves its rules. So generally speaking, <laughs> at December 31st, you would not be eligible to be considered if your film had not been released prior to that. And it would have had to have been exhibited in a movie theater for a week, either in LA or New York. And it couldn't have been exhibited in its entirety on any other platform before it hit the big screen. So obviously they had to tear up that page in the rule book. And then they also extended the date of eligibility out until February. But even with that, I kind of get the sense, as you were saying, Arts, that not many of the people in the general public have seen these movies to the in, in, in the kind of um, numbers that they may have had they been on the big screen. And, and so the bigger issue for the Academy, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard in terms of the, the, the filmmakers because they wanted, of course, more uh, buzz about their films. Uh, but now it's gonna make the Oscar broadcast probably even uh, less watched or you know, fewer people viewing it as all the- Jen, he's singing your song. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, am I in key? Am I in the right key? <laughs> You're definitely in the right key. Okay. I mean, I'm not rooting for more people to, to not watch the Oscars, but it's certainly, that was the tra- trajectory before any of this happened. True. And I think it's going to be difficult to use this year as any kind of a measuring stick for what happens next because it was so unusual. And hopefully there will be, you know, more actual theater going experiences in the ne- next year. But I do think that the viewing, um, the ratings for this Oscars are, are going to be low. I'm just fully prepared for that to be the case. Yeah, and what do you expect that to do to the Academy? Well, you know, the, the broadcast is, is essentially a fundraiser for the Academy. Uh-huh. You know, the advertising revenue uh, helps uh, keep the, the utilities on and keeps the doors, you know, polished. And, you know, the, uh, and of course the Academy is also planning on opening their museum which is another big financial uh, outlay that has been going on for years now. And, and, you know, the pandemic, of course, put a hiccup in that and maybe even in the fundraising aspect of it. But uh, back to the actual uh, broadcast, the broadcast is also its biggest PR opportunity to 
you know, hopefully lure more people into interest in narrative fiction, you know, full length and also full length documentaries and of course animation. And also to, you know, sort of keep the prestige of filmmaking, you know, at its highest level. Uh, so I think it's probably going to get uh, low marks, not so much because of the content of the films, but I'm just saying, again, we have another year where the best picture nominees, had they been on the big screen, I'm not sure many of them would have raked in a lot of money. And even though I know it's not a popularity contest in the best picture category, but it doesn't hurt to have a, a couple movies in that category mm -hmm. that have had high attendance because that means you have more people vested in watching the show to see if the films that they like you know were actually going to win i mean of course they need to be nominated and if they get nominated that should drive more interest but you know i'm with i'm with jen on that i mean all the award shows leading up to this the baftas even though i thought they moved fairly briskly uh they were down in their viewership the grammys which is a whole different can of worms but and you're getting mostly all performance they were down in their viewership so i think the die is pretty much cast um april 25th what do you think of the baftas jen, jen and uh russell what what what's your opinion of uh baftas weigh in on uh, the bests i didn't actually watch the ceremony i just you know <laughs> took a glance at, at what actually won and i mean i felt like they made some pretty strong choices. Um, Nomadland did very well. And I don't know to what extent that's a precursor to what's going to happen at the Oscars, but as the last kind of awards, big awards to go right. before the Oscars, that put it on pretty strong footing, I would say. Yeah, I mean, Nomadland has, has done really well. And I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting horse race, uh, you know, come, you know, a couple Sundays from now. But the thing that that still bothers me about my own academy, and, and especially in a year like this, like why don't we just have 10 best picture nominees and forget this? Well, if you don't get this percentage of the total votes, then you're not let's just the top 10 numerically, you know, should be on the ballot so that uh, you do get a, a larger group of films, which means that you would potentially get more audience interest that would hang out to the end of the show, which is, of course, what uh, the, the whole point of putting Best Picture as the last award uh, should do. So I'm thinking that Nomadland is not going to come away from the Oscars empty handed. Is it going to be Best Picture? You know, I, I, I think I think Nomadland might rise to the top. And if Nomadland doesn't rise to the top, then the question is, what would overtake it? I doubt that it would be Mank. You know, Mank is kind of an inside oh. the ballpark movie. I mean, people who love cinema and know the business really love Mank, but I don't know if the general public relates to it. Uh, maybe Judas and the Black Messiah, because it's very energetic. Uh, Trial of Chicago 7, you know, was a very energetic movie, very well written. So, you know, but again, seems like through most of the precursor that you were saying in that Nomadland has, has, has come to the top. Uh, there is a, a more diverse group of uh, nominees than usual. You Which take, uh, uh, you know, heart from that? Well, I do. And, and I think that um, 
again, all I think all the academies uh, have, have heard that clarion call that you know the movie industry or, or the entertainment audience, regardless of whether it's music or television or feature films, have always been diverse, but have the actual awards reflected the appreciation of the diverse contributors to our respective field. So I, I think that um, this year is, is an example of where we could be going. And as, this, as the membership gets younger and, and, and actually more international and more diverse, I think we will see, um, a con uh, you know, I, I think the trend will continue. I don't think we're gonna end up uh, with April, April having another hashtag to give us other than, you know, Oscar so diverse, which would be nice, but I, we still have a ways to go there. But, you know, what, what, what do you think about that, Arch? What do you, what do you think about best picture this year for the Oscars? Especially uh, considering I, I like Nomadland a lot because okay. it's something new. It's a mix of fiction and nonfiction. And I think Jen agrees with me on that. And, you know, it just, it seemed to be a, a mix of documentary and nonfiction. Right. Right. I like Promising Young Woman, and I'm sorry that uh, it didn't have a chance to screen in theaters. And I was really impressed with uh, Judas and the Black Messiah and Daniel right. Kaluuya and uh, several of the other, uh, and particularly uh, Ma Rainey. I, I think um, Viola Davis might have a chance of uh, pulling an upset for uh, Best Actress. So I think there's the possibility of some surprises. Jen, what do you think? I think Best Actress is the absolute hardest category to predict this year because yeah. it has gone every which way um, <laughs> at, at every award show. Somebody different has won it. So I, that's the one that, that's the hardest to predict for me. You know, I, I still think it would be nice to see Carrie Mulligan win for Promising Young Woman. I thought her performance in that was really um, terrific. But I, I wanted to mention something else that you've actually brought up uh, on the podcast before, Arch. I don't know if either of you saw the segment that Bill Maher did on his show last weekend about the Oscars. Um, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Well, you're probably better off that you didn't, but I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you about it. Uh, it. You know, he did a whole thing about how the Oscar movies are so you know, depressing, and, and that's why no one wants to see them. The Oscars need to change their name to the Debbies, as in Debbie Downer. <laughs> because judging by this year's Best Picture nominees, you couldn't have a worse time at the movies if there was an active shooter in the theater. You know, I would bet all the money in my bank account that Bill Maher has not seen all of the Oscar-nominated Best Pictures, because I don't think that they're all depressing. And, and this is something you've said about Nomadland before, Arch, that people have that impression. And certainly it's not about a totally rosy, easy life, but I think there's absolutely things in it that are uplifting. I right. think that's also true of Minari. So, but I, I wonder to what extent there are people who have that impression. Um, because every Oscar year, I feel like people will say that, oh, those movies are serious and you know, depressing. And I don't know if I can deal with it. Uh, I, I just wonder how do you overcome that? Because it's, it's not actually true. <laughs> yeah, there's just a narrative out there that people, I think, want to believe, maybe because they haven't made the effort to watch the movies. Russ? Yeah, and, 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 and Jen, both uh, good points. Uh, and and, and I, I'd go back to your comment also, Arch. I really enjoyed uh, Promising Young Woman. It, it had a really good twist in it. And I think 
that uh, looking at, at um, all the things that have happened in the business, you know, since uh, Harvey Weinstein was pulled off his pedestal and many more after that, you know, I, I think the film should really have resonated. And of, of, the, of the films that are up for best picture, I think it probably is one of the ones that has the greatest amount of humor in it mixed in with, you know, the seriousness of, you know, some of the other content. Um, but again, you know, if we can put 10 pictures up there on the screen as best picture nominees, mm -hmm. we should use all 10 because I think the, the, the voting membership would generally default to more serious dramas. The uh, Motion Picture Academy has also has always, pretty much always, sort of given a short shrift to comedy. You know what I'm saying? So very, very few comedies have even been nominated for Best Picture, much less win Best Picture. So I think that part of it, without without reducing the quality of the films made, I think the Academy needs to lighten up. You know, it's like everything can't be, you know, as if you were carrying water up the hill, you know, or, or you know, and, and, and everything is, <laughs> is pain and suffering. I mean, yeah, there is character development, as Jim was saying, you know, there, there are hard moments, moments when the lead characters have to say, you know, do I, did I really get myself into this? Is this really the right direction? And then, you know, they figure a way out of it. And that, I mean, that's, that's celebrating the human spirit but if you just want to go in and just be entertained and not have to really put your mind and heart and soul in it you're not going to get much help from these uh, nominees because the well that that is a really good point put 10 movies up yeah i don't know why we go won't ahead and use the 10 slots it's been years since they used all 10 and i mean it's it's like come on i mean and i think the reason that they did that was because there was an outcry the year that uh dark knight which was certainly best picture material, but typically not the kind of film that yeah. the Motion Picture Academy would have nominated. But, you know, what's not to like about Dark Knight? So that was a film that pushed them back into 10. Because, I mean, years ago, there were 10 uh, nominees for best picture, then they reduced them to five. And again, the Academy loves its rules. So to get a rule change, <laughs> it's not, I don't know, I don't, I don't know whether it's easier to get a rule change in Congress or the Academy. You'll have to do the math <laughs> for me, Arch. <laughs> There's one other thing going on that Jen has noticed, and I have too, and that is the announcement this week that Arclight will right. not reopen their theaters here locally in Washington. Uh, that means the, uh, the Montgomery Mall complex, which so many people uh, thought was so good, will not be opening. And uh, nationally, uh, Arclight is beloved in LA right. and operates some of the uh, most uh, uh, admired theaters there. What does that say about the future of movies? Well, I mean, you know, we're all on this podcast, we're all big screen folks. And, you know, part of the Arclight family is the Cinerama Dome. And the year I came to LA, 79, somewhere in August of 79, I sat in the Cinerama Dome for the very first time and saw Apocalypse Now, you know, and, and there was no cinematic experience that I had up to that point to equal that. I mean, with Technicolor and, and Cinerama and all these other things that I grew up with. So I think, it, I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I know that the audience is dying to get back into the movie theater just so they can be social again. Now, I don't know how long that's going to last after we get 
COVID completely behind us. But I know right now, if you open up movie theaters and said, you know, we have XYZ movie. And I mean, if people came out to see Gorilla, uh, what is it, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla, yeah. <laughs> if they came out to see that, you know, then they'll come out to see anything. I, I couldn't even finish it. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I, I think the exhibitors have always been on 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 the on, on thin ice with the fact that you have so many choices at home versus the generation of us that grew up where you had to leave home to come to the theater. So now the question is, exhibitors I think really need to reserve their screens for the big event movies, yeah. and every now and then a touchy feely drama may break through. But you know, with all the access you have at home. It, it's going to be harder for the big screen uh, companies, I think, to, to, to stay competitive. Jen, I know you're concerned about Arclight, and uh, what do you think it means? You know, this is the most depressing, well, a lot of depressing things have happened this week, but <laughs> on a personal level for me, this was very depressing. I mean, even before the pandemic, you know, I, the Arclight is very close to my home. It's the first time in many years that there's been a theater that nice, so accessible mm -hmm. to me. And I went there very often. And every time I would go, I'm like, I hope they never close this place. Right. <laughs> and um, I think what's hard is that in order to get people into theaters, you need to be able to offer them something that they can't get in ho at home and right. make it enticing. And I think, and also that distinguishes it from other theaters. And Arclight was so great because not only were the theaters very nice and comfortable, but they did not show any commercials before the screenings. They showed three trailers and that was it. Someone would come in before each screening and announce the film and who made it and the runtime. And you just felt like this is a place where you go when you really love movies. And the audiences there for the most part were respectful, like really wanted to watch the films and listen to the films. It just feels like a huge loss. I, I, I almost feel like without Arclight, like do I even care about going to these other movie theaters? You know, like. There's some nice AMCs, some nice Regals, but nothing compared to that Arclight experience. And um, I don't know, I'm hoping there's some kind of miracle, you know, fund from Netflix or Quentin Tarantino, or I don't know who. I mean, right. I'm not worried about the Cinerama Dome because I feel like that's a landmark and they're not gonna just do away with that place. But uh, I'm more worried about Arclight, you know, as, as a whole, because, it was a huge part of LA, as you said, but then it's, it, they had it here. They had a couple in Chicago. They had one in Boston. There are other cities that were benefiting from, from what their approach was. And, and uh, I would hate to see that go away. Although I read that Arclight's problem is that they owe millions and millions in leases. Yeah. In other, you know, it's, it's a landlord problem and they're so uh, underwater now they can't uh, dig out. Mm -hmm. yikes so so russell i know you cannot tell us who you're going to vote for <laughs> i can I always cannot. kind of guess <laughs> <laughs> but, we think but, you're, yeah. we think no, sound of metal is one of them <laughs> I, uh, I i i would say it's it, it's sound of metals uh category to lose i'll put it that way yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So every week on this program, we ask Jen to tell us what's new. So uh, what is coming this week, movie or television wise? You know, most of what I have for you this week is actually television uh, oriented. Wow. Uh, the first thing is the final season of the show Younger 
debuts on Thursday with I think three episodes and then they'll roll out the rest of them one a week. I don't know if this is something that either of you ever watched, but um, it's really fun show. The premise of which is that uh, a woman in her forties can't get hired in book publishing. So she pretends to be a millennial gets a job and has to keep her secret. And over the seasons, they've been kind of rolling out the reveal of that secret. Um, and at this point, the secret's pretty much out. So it's it's gets into a little more rom-commy territory in the last season. And some of it is just silly and, and ridiculous, but it's really fun escapism. Would you stop feeling sorry for yourself and listen to me? What, no one wants to hire a 40-year-old has-been? Tell me 26. I'm gonna need some highlights. Uh, and they pull actual stuff from the book publishing world that's pretty clever. So that's that's a good recommendation there. Uh, there's another show that starts on Friday on Disney Plus called Big Shots. And it stars John Stamos as a NCAA coach for the University of Wisconsin who pulls a Bobby Knight, throws a chair, can't control his anger, and he gets fired. And the only job that his agent can get for him is as the coach of a girls high school team at a, a private school in California. Coach Marvin Korn is going from the NCAA to some fancy high school. Personally, I think it's all a big mistake, but I'm prepared to make the best of it. You can kind of guess what happens. He, he starts to coach the girls and maybe starts to soften as a human being and all of that kind of stuff. But I didn't have particularly high expectations for that series. And I've watched the first three and it really is an enjoyable, well done kind of family drama. I think all the um, the young women in the show that are the players, they actually seem like they could be real teenagers as opposed to somebody that they cast who lives in LA and, and you know, is pretending to be a teenager. And I feel like they're just on network TV with the exception of maybe this is us. There aren't a lot of, you know, family dramas that, are, that the whole family can really sit and watch together. And I think this is that kind of a show. And then the last show I wanted to mention, which I, I alluded to last week is Mayor of Easttown, which begins Sunday night on HBO. Um, it stars Kate Winslet as a detective in uh, kind of Chester County area of Pennsylvania, investigating a murder and, and possibly related missing persons cases, but it's also about her life, uh, her relationship with her mother, things that she's dealing with. She's lost a son. Um, so it, it's, it's, it is a procedural in a lot of ways, but it's also a drama. And then within it, there's a great sitcom starring Kate Winslet and Jean Smart as two women who cannot stop getting on each other's nerves. All the houses my ex-husband has moved into. He has to buy the one right behind mine. Well, I've already got a really good deal on this. I am really looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. I, the more I watched it, the more I got into it. And, and Kate Winslet's great. She, you know, she gets her O's and, and her waters and does it exactly the way she's supposed to. Russ, what are you watching uh, at, in your home? Oh, man, you're going to come to me. Well, if, if my if my wife has the remote control, then I have to leave the room. Uh, <laughs> because in certain cases, there's reality TV on and I call it Morse code television. You know, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> But let's see, we have been watching, well, we watched a series that, that Hugh Grant was in. That, that was a while back. I, I would say since, since February, I haven't been doing anything but watching films, you know, and, and trying to keep up with, with, with all these categories that I wouldn't have had time to have seen if, if we were on our old schedule of December 31st and then, you know, had to 
make the nomination somewhere around Valentine's Day, but I can't think of anything right off the top that's knocked me down um, since since we got into 2021. It's mostly been filmed. It seems to me like everybody has watched The Crown. Yeah, I've and, seen that. Um, yeah. And The Queen's Gambit. Yep, and since great. then, everyone, like me, is looking for something. And so I am very excited about Mayor of East Ham. Um, uh, this show comes to you on Hound Radio, thanks to Lou Katz. And Lou, what is uh, going on, on on The Hound this week? Well, we have a regular feature called World of Dogs, hosted by Faith Lapidus, uh, formerly with the Voice of American News. And uh, now, Jen, you have, what, two dogs, right? I do, yeah. Do you ever find that they pass gas? Oh, all the time. <laughs> because we're going to delve into dogs farting right now on Hound Radio. Check this out. Hound Radio pauses the music for another wonderful look into the world of dogs with Faith Lapidus. Let's talk about dog farts. Probably the least favorite part of being a dog owner. It's perfectly normal unfortunately. But if it happens too often, too loudly, or too stinkily, it could be a sign of something not normal. From a less than ideal diet with hard to digest ingredients to intestinal parasites. If a trip to the vet rules out parasites, you might consider a higher quality dog food, or your vet might suggest adding probiotics to your dog's dinner. How your dog eats may affect the amount of gas he produces. When dogs inhale their food, as many of them tend to do, they're skipping an important part of digestion, chewing. That means that air goes down their gullet along with the kibble. Maybe switch to what's called a slow feeder bowl or elevate the food bowl and add some water to the kibble. Lapping at their food could slow them down and help clear the air. I'm Faith Lapidus for Hound Radio. The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. I just want to say you've never lived until you've... I, I had a good friend who had two <laughs> rescue labs, and one of them sidled up to me, got into my lap, smiled at me, and passed gas. <laughs> <laughs> He, so, he was smiling because he said, this guy doesn't have any idea what's about to come his way, right? <laughs> Recently on Vulture, Jen wrote about the uh, comedy writer from Saturday Night Live and television and many other venues, Ann Beats. And uh, it's a lovely piece. And uh, Jen, tell us more about uh, our appreciation of... Uh, and beats. Well, you know, she died um, last week very suddenly. It was not clear what exactly her health concerns were. She, um, she'd been complaining about having some problems in her legs that she saw, thought was sciatica. And um, she had taught a class online and I, I, and then she, I don't know if she died in her sleep or something, but it was, it was, it was pretty mm -hmm. sudden. In fact, one of my colleagues had done an interview her with her just the week before because um, he was writing something about SNL. Mm -hmm. um, but she was significant, first of all, because she was one of the writers on the original writing team for Saturday Night Live, um, one of the few women in a very male-dominated um, situation. And 
she was significant to me and a lot of people because she went on from Saturday Night Live to create a show called Square Pegs, which was only on television for a season, but it was a show about high school kids. Uh, one of the first things that Sarah Jessica Parker did. I think I remember the audition process very well because um, Ann Beats was so um, involved. She, she cared a lot more than any number of people who you might audition for. All we have to do is click with the right click and we can finally have a social life that's worthy of us. No way, not even with cleavage. I told you, this year we're gonna be popular. I really think it's set it, it was. It did something for teen depictions that influenced everything that came after it. In the sense that um, it was showing, you know, awkward kids, uh, these different cliques, and really navigating that, which is what every high school movie and TV show has been about since then. And it was it, these kids were talking about popular culture. You know, they had Devo was on the show, and they would talk about movies, and they would get addicted to Pac Man, and just that language. It's so common now for people to do that, but people did not talk about pop culture and you certainly didn't see kids doing it um, on television in the very early 80s. So it just felt like if you were young, it felt like somebody was really seeing you and showing you what you look like for the first time. So I was- There's I was a documentary about John Belushi and she shows up uh, and is actually very prominent uh, in that and talking about- uh, how difficult it was for her on Saturday Night Live. I haven't seen that documentary. I need to check that out. It's quite good. And she she certainly was ahead of her time. As you say, she sort of started that, you know, Wonder Years, the, that other sort of thing, except she had female protagonists. Right. And she, she made sure that um, her writer's room was entirely female like, with one, one guy. And half of the, the episodes were directed by women, which... That's still a rarity now for that to be the yeah. case. Right? Yeah, that's uh, what was she doing uh, in the last few years? I know she was working on a few different projects, but she was also a professor. Um, so she was, mm. I think her main source of income was probably coming from her teaching. Russ. Well, I hope she got residuals because uh, she, she wasn't filling the refrigerator with, with, with that. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't her main source of income. Yeah, it couldn't have been. Okay. <laughs> so every week, Jen throws something called flashbacks and favorites at us. Russ, uh, you better brace yourself okay. for another uh, difficult question. So, okay. Jen, what have you thought of this week? Oh God. You know, I can't remember if I've done this one before. So if I have, just pretend that I haven't. We've been talking a lot about the Oscars. What is a film that you think should have won Best Picture and did not? And it could be a film that was nominated and didn't win, or it could be a film that just didn't even get nominated. <laughs> Sorry, there's my dog. Uh, hey, he's got a vote too, so there yeah. you go. <laughs> well, for me, um, it's fairly, well, yeah, for me, it's fairly easy. There are two. One of them only because I had a, a, a dog in the fight, right? <laughs> that Glory didn't get nominated for Best Picture that mm -hmm. year is, is, is one of the things that I think that, that forced uh, Freddie Fields, our producer, to expire prematurely. I mean, he was so crestfallen about that. And, um, and that, that's, that's a whole different Academy discussion. But it's kind of in the same topic in that the, the Academy tends to take the most conservative option that's offered to them. 
And so that particular year, um, Driving Miss Daisy gets nominated for Best Picture and wins. More recently- Do you think that's changing that, uh, that lock for the, uh, you know, that they might take a more daring choice now, especially since uh, Moonlight? Yeah, Moonlight and also 12 Years a Slave was, was not something mm -hmm. that I thought was gonna be an easy, you know, pick for the Academy. But um, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens this year. And then even with Moonlight, their moment sort of kind of uh, the air got let out yeah. with, wow. the, with the envelope issue. But, you know, but just taking ethnicity out of the picture, I was so disappointed the year that Inception didn't win everything, you mm. know, and, and, and the King's speech, which was very well made, very well performed. But, you know, I, I kind of always want the Academy to indicate how the industry is moving forward I mean, or the craft of storytelling is moving forward. And that's where, to me, Inception was the film as opposed to King's speech, which is essentially a, a two hour version of a BBC one hour drama special. Yeah, and of course the, you know, the granddaddy of them all, thanks to Harvey Weinstein is Saving Private Ryan. Okay, which, right. Which uh, yeah. lost to Shakespeare in Love, right. which was a comedy, but was no Saving Private Ryan. Lou, you yeah. got any uh, ideas? Um, I got to nominate Ishtar from 87. Matt, that it should have should have gotten it. Just, so Jen, we're about to wrap up, but what what's your answer? Uh, I mean, I have two. One is ET. That was really my my introduction uh, to um, yeah. life okay. being completely unfair and and uh, not making sense when that didn't win. <laughs> and, and better that you learned it younger than later. Okay, yeah, that's right. Uh, and then I I would say um, Moulin Rouge, which to Russ's okay. point, to me, that was a really pushing boundaries kind of movie and A Beautiful Absolutely. Mind was not nearly as interesting wow. to me as, as Moulin Rouge. Well, we are running low on time. Russ, it's great speaking with you. And Jen, thank you always for being with us. Lou, will you wrap us up? I will with Who Let the Dogs Out, Jen? <laughs> it was me. Now you know. Who let the dogs out? Nice, the party was bumping. And everybody having a ball. Until the fellas start the name calling. And the girls respond to the call. I have a pool with shout out. Who let the dogs out? 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 I see the dumpy. Gonna tell myself I'm man, no get angry. Two eighty girls calling them canine. Hey, but they tell me, hey man, start up the party. You put a woman in front and a man behind. I hear a woman shout out.
push. Billy Bondage, get out. Get back, Ruffy. Bash, Ruffy. Get back, you flee infested mongrel. Well, if I am a dog, the party is on. I gotta get my groove on, cause my mind I'm gone. Do you see the race coming from my eye? Walking through the prison, did you mind this breaking down? Me and my white talk, short, dealing, can't see color. Any color, but do. I think I knew that's why they call me Pitbull. Cause I'm the man of the land, when they see me, they say, This is the CATS Podcasting System.